Hello and welcome to the Despreneur Podcast. My name is Thomas Lornavichis, I'm the founder of Despreneur, and I'll be your host. In this show, I'll connect and talk with top designers, successful entrepreneurs, and tech visionaries. The goal of this podcast is to unlock your potential and help you build a successful business and live with purpose. Hello and welcome to the Despreneur Podcast. Today's guest is Koi Vin. He's a former design director for the New York Times. In 2011, Fast Company named Vin one of the 50 most influential designers in America. Koi is currently principal designer at Adobe. Welcome to the show, Koi. Hey, how are you? Very good to have you. I've been I've been following your blog for for a long time, and actually, I I wrote a couple of posts ref- referring to to some some of your research. And you've been doing a lot of stuff online, and as you say, you are a person from internet. So could you just uh, tell me more about your background and where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I started as a graphic designer doing print identity and design systems, and eventually found my way to the internet. And I worked at some big digital agencies for a while. Then I co-founded a design studio in New York called Behavior. I worked. I ran that for a little while, and then I got an opportunity to join the New York Times to run the design team for New York Times Digital. And I did that for about five years. Then I went off and did a startup. I co-founded a startup called Mixel. We had some success, but ultimately we were acquired. And then I worked at some other startups. And last August, I joined Adobe. Um, where I now work on all things mobile. Wow, what a journey. Thank you for sharing that. I'm very curious, how, how did you get started? Because you went to art school, probably to, to become a painter, but why did you change your mind? Well, when I got to art school, I didn't really know much about design or typography or publishing or any of that. Um, but as I learned painting and I learned about the various flavors of art that were available to me, as possible career paths, I discovered that all the problems I was interested in were really design problems. And even the kinds of paintings I I was doing were really, you know, they were very sort of geometric and laid out with a grid and stuff. They were basically design paintings. And so I started sneaking into as many design courses as I could and started reading as much about design as I possibly could. And what really triggered it for me was learning how to use the Mac and learning how to use early Adobe apps, Illustrator and Photoshop. That really, really opened up the world of design to me. And when I left school, I went to look for a job in design and was lucky enough to get one. And that led me to where I am now. Nice. I think I think you, you had so many different challenges to, to face when you were learning design because nowadays I, I, I find so many young designers and they're complaining about one or the other thing. But like I'm like, Dude, you have so many different tools, so many people to look up, and like, it's just insane how things change. So, could you could you just uh, comment on that? How things changed in the last 15, 20 years? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think overall awareness of design is at a much much higher level now than it was when I was going to art school. Um, people, I mean, there's still a lot of people who don't understand what design is, but by and large, um, a a lot more uh, of the younger generation, millennial generation, are aware of design, are aware of user interface design or graphic design or, or typography. It's it's much more a part of their vernacular. And certainly with 
software with the tools that allow professionals to to get paid for creative work um, and that software is much more accessible these days than it was when I was a kid I mean you know to get a copy of Photoshop or Illustrator when I was a kid was hundreds of dollars and now that's available as a subscription fee and then you can you know try out a lot of this software you know on a trial basis uh, practically for free and that that makes this stuff much more accessible and and makes overall awareness much higher yeah i completely agree and there are so many different apps that you can probably just get it you know forever for like a hundred bucks and I'm, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned uh, adobe and, and and how you started like playing with adobe when you were young Originally, you challenged Adobe because when I was interviewing Brian uh, Brian O'Neill, uh, he mentioned that you were a huge critic of their of their new app, and then and then turned out that you you joined Adobe uh, mobile applications team. So why did you leave the startup world uh, to work with Adobe? Well, I mean, to be clear, I I think I tried to be a fair critic. Um, Partly because I owe so much to Adobe and had been a user and really sort of like a devoted fan of the companies for a long, long time. I mean, I owe a big part of my career to the software that that they've created over the past few decades and and how it's introduced me to um, not just design but also like all the the things that design interact intersects with you know business and technology and culture. It's it's really the stuff that they produce has really been uh, important for me for my for my career. Um, where I was a critic was um, for for a while, Adobe really felt like they had to keep stuffing new ideas into their big successful apps like Photoshop and Illustrator and, and InDesign and Premiere, um, and it made those apps much bigger than I I preferred, much bigger than my taste, especially as with the internet and as with mobile, the trend was clearly towards smaller, more purpose-built apps. Um, and that changed for me a few years ago when Adobe bought Behance. I, I'm a friend of Scott Belsky, the co-founder of Behance, a really brilliant guy. And when he joined Adobe, he asked me to come by and have a look at what they were working on. And it really opened my eyes. They're, they were really taking a new approach to software, smaller, sleeker, more purpose-built, like I said, stuff that uh, was much more in tune with uh, the way software was going um, as I saw it. And um, there's a ton of stuff, really interesting stuff that, that they were doing and that we'll see in, in the coming months and years. The stuff that got me excited, of course, was the mobile stuff, the the stuff that was really like um, tried to bring all the power that Adobe is known for into these apps or these packages that were were really good citizens on on iOS or on Android. That that really excited me, and you know, ultimately, um, I thought I I should join up and and try to, to contribute. I love it. I love it, and I like how you comment about criticizing. Well, it's it's generally just uh, this just feedback because you you generally want the product to be better. So I, I I completely agree with what you just said. Yeah, we always try to remember that when we hear read, read online people who are critiquing Adobe software. They're very, they're very passionate about it. And it, it's a reminder that it, that means they actually care. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I love it. What are the most valuable lessons that you learned during your career as a design director of the New York Times Online, co-founder of, of successful startups Wildcard and KitPost, and now designer at Adobe? I think 
the the most valuable lesson for me is that the secret to great products is people. It's it's not like a really clever methodology. It's not a, a really even a really smart org chart, or it's it's not technology or, or business or, or process. It's it really comes down to people who are able to form really valuable like trusting bonds with each other and, and devote themselves to a particular goal and throw all of their energy into getting things done. Um, and it's just stuff that doesn't necessarily need to come from the top. You know, it, it can come from any part of an organization, whether big or small. Um, and um, I've learned that over and over again. You know, the best products are really the direct result of the people who work on them. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Koi, you, you talk with a lot of journalists and a lot of press, media, and so on. And if you go to meetups, everyone knows and you know that uh, you're a big deal. How do you keep grounded? Because <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm talking to you, you sound very genuine and, and down-to-earth guy. Uh, that's a really flattering question. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I mean, I don't mean to be disingenuous, but really, I'm not a big deal. I mean, the the things that I'm known for still wouldn't get me recognized in you know the middle of downtown, like New York or or any big city. <laughs> People would walk right past me, and I always try to keep that in mind. It's not you know. I mean, I feel really proud of the contributions I've made to our craft and and I feel really lucky to be a, a part of design and entrepreneurial culture um, but at the end of the day you know I just go home and I'm just another person on the subway and and I hang out with my my family and my friends and um, I try to keep it simple that way that's the way to go <laughs> and and I think for for design world you are you're a big influence and I would like to ask what are your inspirations and influencers in your life well you know, I am a pretty eager consumer of all the things that designers do online, you know, whether it's posts they write on Medium or, you know, threads on designer news or, you know, like all the amazing stuff that, that, that people post on uh, Behance and, and Dribble, all those places. I, I just really love to spend tons of time like prowling through that. And there's, there's so much good conversation and good exchange of ideas about design is pushing things forward and I always feel like there's more to to catch up on and, and more to consume and more to learn and I'm, I'm always impressed by you know when somebody writes a, a, a medium article on some new facet of design and they just seem like they've been experts on it for you know forever even though it's brand new to me like that's that's stuff that that keeps me inspired. Um, um, but when I get home at the end of the day, I, I don't consume a ton of design stuff. Like I, I usually try to spend the time with my kids or um, it, once I can get them to sleep, I, I try to watch a lot of film. I'm, I'm really a big film buff. I, I spend a lot of time you know, trying to catch up on big, important movies that I've never gotten a chance to watch before. And then also try to catch up on silly, you know, uh, inconsequential movies that we're only in the theater, you know, two or three months ago and won't have an impact on anybody. I, I will basically watch any kind of film. <laughs> could, you, could you share your, your top favorites? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm a big fan of film noir. I, I really love the period of filmmaking after the Second World War, um, the 10 or 15 years after that, where like all, they made all these really cheap, gritty crime movies. I think those movies are really fascinating. I... I'm a big fan of um, the movies from the 70s, um, like 
Scorsese or um, Coppola or um, Woody Allen. I'm actually, I'm particularly a big fan of, of some of the cinematography at that time. There's just one uh, cinematographer, Gordon Willis, who just he, he he was the one who shot Annie Hall and the and The Godfather and Clute and these other really really beautiful movies. And actually, they're a great resource for designers because every frame is is beautifully composed. And Gordon Willis was sort of like a master of light and also of of simplicity, really emphasizing incredibly simple yet beautiful composition. So I, I try to rewatch those whenever I can. Nice, thank you for sharing this. I I, I really like Scorsese's film films, and uh, and I think he's a uh, he's a very talented uh, cinematographer. Uh, yes, yeah, Scorsese. I I just recently watched um, both um, Goodfellas and The Wolf of Wall Street again, and those. Those movies are really, really amazing. Absolutely. I'm very curious, how do you stay sane in New York City? Because it's a hectic place to be and and holding these positions and, and taking care of your family and career. I think it's it's not that easy. How do you keep sane? Do you have routines? How does your day look like? I'm not sure that I'm sane, really. It's just by, by dint of the fact that I live here. I'm not sure exactly why. There... It is really hectic, and there's sort of demands on your person just to survive in this city. Um, like taking a subway to work can sometimes be a trial. Like a couple weeks ago, I was going to meet somebody after work and got stuck um, under the East River in the subway tunnel for like an hour and a half. It was really miserable. So, you know, I usually just try to. In a way, it actually really helps having kids because I really have to turn off the work part of my brain and really focus on on family like every day at the end of the day. And I think that is a huge help. That's that's really helped me survive and be a well-rounded person. Um, but I also really thrive on New York. New York, there's a lot of energy here and and a lot of things going on in in the design and you know and the startup space that are really interesting. So um, you know, I, I can't complain about it too much. Yeah, I think it's it's best best place for for hustler and uh, <laughs> for really moving forward uh, very quickly. Yeah, I do sometimes like daydream of uh, going someplace quieter. Right, quite. So you learned many many different things on on your way to the top. What do you think are top three non design like non technical skills that you need in your career? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I think they're kind of related. The ones that come to mind are, are kind of related. The ability to write and to speak are so important for designers to really get ahead and also to build long-lasting careers. Design is, is such a soft medium. I mean, there's even with all the analytics that we have today, we don't we're not really able to quantify why a good design is good and being able to to explain yourself in the written form or be being able to to explain yourself verbally is so critical for getting a good design to turn into reality and i think the other skill the third skill that i would say is empathy you really have to be able to Put yourself in the shoes of your users. We talk about that a lot in the design trade, as I'm sure you know, being able to, to understand our users and, and what their pains and their goals are. But also, really, you have to be able to understand the people that you work with, whether you're 
in a startup or you're at a big company or you're at a, an agency, understanding the folks that you need to collaborate with um, in order to accomplish your goals. You need to understand what their their goals, their motivations, and their priorities are. And if you don't do that, if you're not capable of, of seeing the world from their perspective, it, it can be very, very difficult for you to to make things happen the way you envision them. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and especially like when you need to not really defend, but like just to explain your work in, in your own words, when you have, you know, references to something or like you, you use recent research. I think many designers, they just fall into beautiful pictures and they just keep telling people that this is the right way. But once you really face stakeholders or like business owners, they have different objectives and uh, you're leading uh, a team at Adobe. How do you inspire your team to work together and like to keep everyone on the same page? Well, I'm I'm really lucky because I work with a team of really experienced, really senior designers and and design thinkers. Um, and I mean, I I had a great team at the New York Times too. I actually built that team, um, and I don't have a bad thing at all to say about them. But but they weren't quite as, ex as experienced as the people that I encountered when I came to Adobe. All the folks there are really mature, um, sort of advanced thinkers about digital products. And I feel like my job is not so much to inspire them, but to sort of clear the way for them and to, to make sure they get the opportunity to do their best work. I think um, when you encounter you know, the, the kinds of talent that, that we have, I think like that's the number one priority is just to, to get out of their way and, and make sure they, they're able to flourish as, as much as they can. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you mentioned that you have great thinkers in the theme. And recently I, I started to think that design is actually like designer's job is probably just 90% thinking and connecting dots and making these you know smart connections. How do you develop design thinking? Hmm. Yeah, well, I actually, I really like the way you put that. It's it's ninety percent thinking. I think you develop great design thinking by being empathetic to to the problem at hand, to to the people who who you're trying to craft a solution for. Really, really deeply trying to understand what challenges they face and and how they see their goal and how it might be the same or different from from what you or what, what the business that you're a part of sees. Um, so that comes from experience, from from trying and, and failing and and learning from your failures, but also from you know like research and going out and meeting meeting customers and and looking at the analytics and just having a voracious appetite for reading and and learning about the craft you know as i mentioned before there's there's so much online for any new designer to to consume on any given day you know you can there's always something new to learn about design and you just have to continue to challenge yourself to absorb as much of it as you can yeah there's endless oceans of information can you share any tips for for new or like aspiring designers, how to succeed or find one's niche in such an influx market? Yeah, I mean, I just go back to the idea of being able to articulate yourself and, and learning how to to write and how to to speak and how to present and get up in front of people. Um, I think developing a, a a passion for writing or and really working hard to perfect that skill is really important. 
I feel I was pretty lucky because I, I've always loved the written word and was passionate about it, but it never really came easy to me, at least definitely in the beginning when I really decided like in order to get better at that, I would just need to keep practicing more and more and, and really work on it and, and get to the next level. Um, and that's part of the inspiration for writing my blog, subtraction.com for so long is, is it keeps me writing and keeps me thinking critically about the work that, that I'm doing and the work that I'm seeing out um, in, in the industry. Yeah, brilliant. I think you've been consistent for like forever and <laughs> you, you definitely see different patterns. And now when you joined Adobe, what do you think is next for, for mobile? Uh, I mean, I think mobile is it's starting to get mature now and, and we're starting to see really, really powerful hardware. I mean, what we think about most at Adobe is how mobile and creativity are going to converge over the next few years. If you think about the mobile revolution, you know, since basically the, the debut of the iPhone in 2007, it's largely, the focus has largely been on the consumer effect. Um, but as we see, you know, a new generation of design practitioners come into the market, as we see these devices really become ubiquitous and again just get so powerful both in the hardware and the software the operating systems that that run them i think it's going to be a foregone conclusion that before too long when you're trying to solve a design problem you're going to reach for uh a tablet an ipad or or what have you just as quickly as you might reach for a laptop or a desktop and so we're working really hard at adobe to to sort of bring that future forward or here to the present as quickly as we can by building all these apps that in many cases do things that you, you couldn't do on the desktop. Um, um, and in other cases do things that you did on the desktop um, even more easily in, in the, uh, the mobile or the touch environment. Um, and also building out this really rich ecosystem that knits all the apps together and lets people benefit from these new workflows that, that are more elegant and, and more cloud-based and, and more optimized for phones and tablets than ever before. So that's the stuff we think about when it comes to the future of mobile. Wow, I love it. I love it. And I'm very actually excited to live in these times because, as you mentioned, like we're going to do one thing on tablet, on phone, and, and I, I started to like reading and, and photo editing on my phone even more than, than just on, on the laptop. Yeah. So I think it's it's a huge transition that we're we're living in. Well I'll tell you So I'm very Oh I'm sorry. Yeah. I was just gonna add like Go I've I've been kind of public about how much I like traveling with an iPad and, and a and a and a keyboard and I actually never leave I mean never take my my laptop with me anymore. I usually just have the the iPad and keyboard, and I find it to be much more elegant and and, and versatile than having the the laptop with me. So, um, I think change is coming, and more and more people are jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, we just need to go go through that that phase where people are are seeing tablets as actually efficient way to work and like you know yeah. spend time on productively instead of just watching YouTube. That's what we're working on, and I think. In the coming months and years, you'll see um, new stuff, like evolutions of what we have out there today and also new things that we're working on that will make it much more compelling and, and much more obvious that tablets are really great for creativity. Definitely, definitely. So thank you very much for your time. I'm very sensitive uh, with your time. I don't want to keep you here forever. 
Thank you for sharing your, your experience and knowledge. Is there anything else you would like to add for, for the for Despreneur listeners? Oh, no, I think I'm just, uh, I feel so so lucky that you invited me. I really enjoyed it. And I think the stuff that you're, you're focused on, this intersection of entrepreneurialism and design is, is really great. And it's a great way for designers to think about the profession evolving um, in, in the future. Thank you. Absolutely. So where people can find you online besides your blog and your, your Twitter, you're pretty active, pretty active on Twitter. What are other places where people could find your work and you? Uh, well, my blog is at subtraction.com. Twitter is at Koi. Um, my, I wrote a book recently. You can find that book at howtheygotthere.com. It's interviews with, with digital designers. I think it's really interesting for anybody who's making their way in their field. And... Um, um, if anybody wants to reach me in Adobe, you can probably figure out my email address. Um, it's just koi at adobe.com. Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you very much, Koi Wen. Thank you so much. There you have it. Thank you very much for joining me today in this episode. I hope you enjoyed and learned from it as much as I did. Thank you for today's guest. Please make sure to go to Despreneur, subscribe to the email list get updates about the upcoming episodes and inspiring stories from design, technology, and entrepreneurship fields. Subscribe to the Despreneur podcast on iTunes and please leave an honest review. It really helps me to understand how I can improve and serve you better. It also helps other people to discover this podcast. I appreciate your time and feedback. Please let me know if you have any questions or suggestions. You can reach me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. I love connecting with you. Thanks again and bye until the next time.